Welcome you to this edition of the official Titans podcast. I'm Mike Keith. Amy Wells here as usual. Hello, Mike. How are you? Just fine, thank you. Have you finished your Christmas shopping? I have finished my Christmas shopping and put all of my packages in the mail. Oh, great. I So am... you feel good. You're accomplished. Oh, I'm a Christmas elf this year. I am taking care of business. Dave McGinnis from Titans Radio is here. Have you finished your Hi, Christmas Mike Keith. shopping? Yeah, I've got a lot of people I pay to do Christmas shopping for. Yes, <laughs> uh-uh. I do. That's very grinchy of you. Think, I mean, considering the fact that you know everybody, I would think holiday shopping is extremely complicated for you. Very simple. Very simple. I got a I got a great group that makes it work. Oh, that's nice. That a group nice. you've got you've got people. Well, I got people. Yeah. Nice. My, like Mac OT has a staff. people. Here's what they decided y'all were getting. Not much. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that it's might be the way to do it. That's all right. Jim Wyatt is on assignment. We're down to the wire now. Taping this show on Tuesday, December the 17th. Uh, so, lots to cover and let's jump sort of right in. The Titans have Two players who were elected to the Pro Bowl. Derrick Henry will make his first appearance. Right now, 271 carries for 1,329 yards and 13 touchdowns. He also has two more touchdowns receiving. So Derrick Henry is headed to the Pro Bowl. Punter Brett Kern headed to the Pro Bowl for the third straight year. He's averaging 47.5 yards per punt, 43.6 net, 34 down inside the 20, just two have gone for touchbacks. Brett Kern has had another great year and has a great reputation now. Amy Wells going to give you the chance to react to Derrick Henry and Brett Kern making the Pro Bowl. You know I'm not surprised by either one of them. Derrick Henry has had a monster year. We've seen him get better and better and better as the years go on, and especially in the second half of season somehow. Um, so this is definitely something that I think he's deserved – He keeps setting these records, and he keeps putting up these numbers that are just amazing, not to mention the fact that for three weeks in a row, he was the the FedEx Aaron Ground player of the year or player of the week. I mean, things like that just keep happening, and so definitely deserve the recognition of going to the Pro Bowl. And Brett Kern is Brett Kern. I mean, it seems like everything that he does, whether it's punting, whether it's in some of the – um, trick plays that they're trying to do. I mean, I don't think the man wants to take too many tackles like the one. No, in the Tampa game. <laughs> yeah, like that. But Brett Kern has just been so successful. And much like Derek Henry, we've seen him continue to get better and be this consistent weapon for the Titans. Not to mention, he's been there a couple times. His kids love going to the Pro Bowl. So. <laughs> well, the, then that's all the more reason well, to pick him. I'm just him. saying, when you have three kids and you're taking them to Disney World, everybody wins. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So no surprises there. No surprises. Those were the two I thought would get in. We'll hear about the alternates going forward in the next few weeks and what their chances are. But Derrick Henry and Brett Kern are the Titans pro bowlers as it stands right now. Playoff scenarios. It's actually pretty simple after New Orleans hammered Indianapolis. It really comes down to two things. The AFC South which if Houston wins at Tampa on Saturday, and that game is noon central, Houston wins the division. They're the division champions. It's over. Right. If Tampa beats Houston on Saturday, and then the Titans were to knock off the Saints on Sunday, 
all the marbles next weekend in Houston for the AFC South. I don't know if my little heart can handle that. Well, you better get ready for it. That's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we want. Okay, so if Houston goes ahead and wins the division, the Titans can still get in as a wild card But the most likely scenario, and there are other small mathematical chances in other areas, but the most likely scenario involves the Titans and the Steelers. If the Steelers lose one of their final two games, Jets or Ravens, and the Titans beat Houston, the Titans would win the last playoff spot based on strength of victory. If both teams win their last two games, Pittsburgh goes with a better AFC record. Okay. So that's the case. The Titans could go if they're ten and six and the Steelers are nine and seven, the Titans could go if they're nine and seven and they beat Houston. Not if they beat New Orleans. Because that's an NFC win. That doesn't help. If they finish tied and they beat Houston, they go. If they finish tied and they beat New Orleans and not Houston, they don't go. So we're watching this weekend for the Saturday game, Houston at Tampa, and we're watching Pittsburgh and the Jets this weekend, which is a Sunday game, and that's where the process starts. By losing last Sunday, the Titans lost control, but they are by no means out of it. No, they're not out of it, and I mean, that's an excellent, excellent explanation. I mean, and you hit every major point, and that's exactly the scenarios and it boils down to this the titans need to win ball games Mm -hmm. and just go ahead and win this week and then we'll see where the other scenarios go and that's i think the sentiment around the building is we can't control all of those other things Mm -hmm. we can control beating the saints on sunday so that's what we need to do well it has been said accurately that the titans can finish 10 and 6 and not go to the playoffs that's true but I don't think that's likely. Right. I think if the Titans win their last two games, I believe they're going to go to the playoffs. I agree I th- with you, Mike. History shows if you mark out, it works out for you. And I'll never forget 2006. We needed five things to happen. I remember it well. We needed five things to happen on the last Sunday, including we needed to beat New England. Didn't do it. The other four things happened. Ugh. That's 100% true. I lived, oh, it was, I lived that on the sideline. It was awful. Ugh. Because Jeff Fisher told the football team, he said, this is going to happen. He did. He told, he told them early in the week, too. He said, you know, just concentrate on New England. And these other instances, he put it up on the board. He put it up with a PowerPoint. He said, this, this, and this. He said, all of this will happen. Let's take care of business. Yeah. I'll tell you what. It's the greatest time of the year because every football game that you watch means something to you in Somewhere. some way. So it's so fun in that regard. But I also have like this a beautiful mind, numbers and scenarios and arrows just rolling through my brain right now. Well, Robbie Boren and Dwight Spradlin from our media relations staff did a great job getting with the league and with Elias and, and laying all of that out for us. And Because fans have said after losing on Sunday – People have said, oh, well, it's, you know, it's over. No. I mean, it's Not the Titans sort of. will go to the end. No, absolutely. They and will go to the end in Houston with a chance to make the playoffs. So that's a, I mean, as far as tough scenarios go, it's a best case scenario. Yep. Well, and, you know, all, all of our listeners on the OTP, I mean, you laid it out perfectly. That was a great explanation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Saints are the opponent this week, but they look pretty good on Monday Night Football. Decent. Yeah. Yeah, decent. What was that? Drew Brees missed one pass. How does that happen? 29 out of 30. How does that happen? He just plays so well in no, he's, New Orleans. That, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, an anomaly. He's done that for a long time. For he's, 19 years. Yes. You know, but the funny thing is they were getting ready to bench him in San Diego. We went out there to play Marty Schottenheimer and the Chargers. They were one and two. And they were ready to bench him. Oh, he doesn't have it because they had drafted Philip. They actually drafted Eli Manning and traded for Philip Rivers to replace him because he was just, eh, that's how they felt about him. And so we go out there and we think, okay, we got a good shot to beat these guys. But we're a little beat up. And he took us apart and it changed the arc of his career. From there, he went crazy. And at the end of the 2005 season, they had to make a decision on him, and he tore his labrum in the last game of the season. And that changed, I think, SEC history. And you're saying, how is that? I am. Okay. Nick Saban is the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins need a quarterback. Nick Saban, if you believe the story, wants Drew Brees. They talked to Drew Brees. The doctors are not sure about him because a labrum tear is a big deal in your throwing shoulder. It's his throwing shoulder. New Orleans says, we'll take you. So he ends up going to New Orleans for the 2006 season. The Dolphins end up with Dante Culpepper. Nick Saban does two years with the Dolphins, doesn't win anything, realizes he doesn't care for the pro game, goes to Alabama, changing life in the SEC dramatically. What happens in Miami? How many Super Bowls has Nick Saban won in Miami if Drew Brees is his quarterback? Well, he would have won more games than he won to begin with. Now, you don't know about the people he would have surrounded him with. I'm going to tell you, I think if you're looking at, at revisionist history, I don't think the Patriots have had the run they have had if that happens. The one thing I think they've won some, don't get me wrong. But can you imagine the AFC East battles between Nick Saban and Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Here's the one thing I would throw, a caveat I would throw into that whole formula, is Sean Payton. Because Sean Payton, his offense and, and his, his marriage with Drew Brees is beautiful. That's a great point. It's right. beautiful. And so, I mean, Nick Saban would have had the quarterback – Nick Saban still would have needed to have gotten the guy to call the plays and implement it. That's a fun, that's a fair point. See, that's what, and that's what I was going to say. Good job, Coach Mack. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> I was going to say that you might not have a Tom Brady, Bill Belichick relationship with a Nick Saban and Drew Brees. They might. Nick Saban still might decide that he doesn't like coaching in the pros after a year. I disagree. I think Nick Saban has always been a pro coach. I think that's the strength of what he does at Alabama is he brings a lot of – he's got the work ethic and the recruiting understanding, and he gets the whole thing about a university, which a lot of pro coaches don't. But I still think his philosophy and where he has led from the start – he changed recruiting back at LSU. LSU is where they are at this moment, in part because of how he changed what was a messed up program at LSU and had been for 15 years. He changed how 
guys are recruited because when I was covering recruiting back in the 90s, nobody offered a player until they were right at the end of their junior year or at the start of their senior year because all these college coaches says, oh, we got to see senior tape. We have to see. Not anymore. (laughs) Nick Saban, when he was at LSU, said, let me tell you something. He goes, if a guy can play, I can spot him. He started offering guys when they were sophomores. He got them into this LSU culture because they were getting offers. Other schools didn't know what to do. And suddenly, LSU started stealing a lot of great players that they had been losing to other schools. And so they have built up this wealth of talent. And it's funny, now that they finally found a quarterback, their own Drew Brees, so to speak, and Joe Burrow, you know, they're on the verge of a national championship. But how different could life have been? Yeah, I think I, Nick I Saban I, would have made it work with Drew Brees. No, I agree with you. I mean, Nick's, Nick's a really good football coach. Oh. And he would have done very well in this league. It's just that decision. And Nick wanted Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. And when he and the the thing that that drove Nick out of this league was the lack of control that he had. That's what took him out. He's he's he would have been a great coach in this league too. All right, so let me put this one to you. Who is the more surprising among the great quarterbacks that we discussed? Peyton Manning was first overall pick. Peyton Manning and he his dad was a great quarterback. And no surprise, he was great. Tom Brady was a six-round pick. We all know that. We've heard that a hundred million times. Drew Brees is six feet tall. I mean, that's it. And he was not a star from the start. We mentioned his story and how he ascended, and he found Sean Payton, and he found the right system. Who's the most surprising star among Brady and Brees? Brady. Drew Brees was the second-round pick. Mm -hmm. Drew Brees set all kind of records at Purdue. Drew Brees had a body of work coming out of college. Brady's body of work coming out of Michigan was limited at best. That's why he was a sixth-round pick. And so the ascension that he made. Now, Drew Brees was not in the right system in San Diego to start with. Then you you mentioned the injury. The injury was, was significant. Last game of the regular season. The injury was significant. It was more than a labrum. I mean, it was that the shoulder was – the throwing shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now, where he's come back from that, but to me, I think Tom Brady because of where he was taken and then what he ascended to. And look, they're both Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But when Brady goes in, Drew Brees will go into the Hall of Fame with a lot of records. Brady will go in with records and a lot of hardware. And a lot of hardware. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. But, you know, they're – there are, I mean, Johnny Unitas was, you know, arguably in, in some people's mind the greatest quarterback of all time. I think he was a 19th round draft pick. Uh, the Steelers let him go. Joe Montana was a third round draft pick. Roger Staubach with the Cowboys spent five years. He was technically a 10th round pick because he had to spend five years in the Navy after winning the Heisman Trophy. I mean, there are all these sorts of stories along with the Mannings who were top picks and other guys who've ascended in that way. But which one for you? I was going to say Drew Brees, despite the body of work he had in college. College, as we know, doesn't always translate to the pros. And the fact that he had such a slow start and the labrum injury and the way that he has fought through. And being a shorter quarterback 
comes with its own set of challenges. It just does. And so the fact that he was able to overcome these things, finding the right spot for him, and still with kind of a delayed start in the league, get the records that he has obtained, that's pretty impressive. Although in the back of my mind, I still have that combine picture of Tom Brady in my head, and that makes him a survivor just because of that picture where he's kind of chubby and in his he's little He's not kind yeah, I, I mean, mean he, look. he looks like he's made out of Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. But, so that makes him a survivor TB12 in his own right. Point. No, he was not TB12. He was TB1200 <laughs> in that picture. <laughs> not well, great. I mean, Brady's one of the greatest stories in American <laughs> sports to do what he's done in terms of the championships. They've both done pretty well. They've yeah, both they're done all well. right. I, I think I take Breeze based on the fact that he is a six-foot pocket passer, which is really remarkable. He's... Now, he has mobility skills, but that's not really what he does. It's not his bag. I I mean, the whole thing is uh, both stories are amazing. All right, so it leads me to this, Coach, in talking about this game this weekend, Titans-Saints. Guy was 29 of 30 on Monday Night Football, broke the touchdown record. I mean, they they went 34 to 7 over Indy. Titans have got to get off to a good start. They, They need to make something happen early. The Titans have not scored a touchdown on their first possession since December 22nd last year against Washington. How do they turn that around? How, why is that happening? How do they fix this? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's no one answer, first of all, as to why that's not happening. There are, there are ways to, to find out, but you would individually have to go back to every game and look at it and dissect the first possession of every game offensively there are reasons, and there, there are very evident reasons, because the tape will tell you the whole story. But I think that what you would find out is there is no one consistent reason. Okay. And so that, that to me, is that statistic, you know, is hard to quantify by just saying what is wrong. Okay. Now, clearly, what needs to happen, they need to start faster, and they need to incorporate a rhythm into this offense. And I'm talking now, in the present day. I'm talking this week coming up as they're able to get rhythm into it as the game progresses. This is one of the, this is one of the fastest closing teams offensively, you know, going on. But there's not just one reason for it, and, and they, that, that's the most honest answer I can give you because when you, if you go and look at first possessions – there would be several reasons on each one of them. You could find it, but then you'd have to decide, does this affect this week? How much of it is mindset? Well, I don't think it's any mindset. Okay. I really don't. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's something that, you know, has functionally gone wrong individually with each of those series. Each of those series. There will be a reason in each one of them. You know, did, did, did we miss a third down? All right. Did we, did we have a penalty that put us in first and 20? Did we have, you know, there's reasons. There's always reasons. And the tape will tell you what those reasons are. I have a question about opening drives. And is there a chance, this just popped into my head right now, so it's not a very put together thought, but is the opening drive something that could be used as kind of a test balloon almost to see what their defense is doing and then make adjustments? As opposed to, we need to score on this drive right now. That question goes into the fact of scripting plays, and 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 a lot of times when you when you script plays and and people have a misconception about scripting plays. You don't script plays just to follow it rote. 
right down the line. What you do, to your point, Amy, you script plays and, and put different personnel people in there to find out what the defense, how they're going to match you up, how they're going to play certain concepts, because you have step-building processes that you want to use throughout the game based on how you see them doing what they're going to do that day. Because you can do all the preparation you want, and if you get out there in a defensive coordinator, you know, he's been playing against this personnel group, say, with his sub-package the whole time. But then when he plays against you, the first thing you look at, we're in 12 personnel. Now he's got his base people out there. He's going to play me different today. So to that point, it is. All right. So I'm going to ask this, and there may not be an answer, but it's sort of the flip, and you touched on it. Titans have been a slow starting team, but they've outscored the opposition in the second half by 98 points. So they are winning every second half on average by a touchdown. Is there a reason for that? Well, there is. There is a reason for that. Okay. And, and there's not one. There's not one that I can tell you that they did this, this, and this. But the reason, and it goes with the question that Amy just asked, they really do a good job of dissecting what's going on when the game's going on. Okay. Because when you when you're making game plans and you look at tape. That's not necessarily what happens on game day. That's part of the cat-and-mouse game between coordinators. And they are really good. The Titans, both offensively and defensively, are really good at dissecting in-game what is going on and being able to adjust off of that. It's all about adjustments. All right, speaking of adjustments, the Titans have made an adjustment at the outside linebacker position opposite Harold Landry. The starter there now is Kamale Correa. He has taken over that starting job. He's up to four sacks on the season now. He's getting near 40 tackles. The guy keeps showing up and has played above what he did last year and really what he did in the first half of this season. So what is Correa doing well, Coach Mack, that jumps out to you as to why he has asserted himself over the last six weeks. Well, the reason he was brought here in the first place is because he was familiar with this defense to start with. And I think he's just he's found his slot within this defense. And also, I think that Dean Pease has also found his strengths and what he can, what he can work with. I think when he came in here early on, Mike, and, and it happens a lot when veteran players come to play, they try to do too much. Okay. They try to do too much rather than just doing your job and then reacting off of that and then making plays beyond your job after you've done your job. And so sometimes you get so busy, you get ahead of yourself just because you're trying to prove I was worth being brought in here. You know, I've seen it, you know, I don't know necessarily that that's what happened with him, but I do know this. He's a very consistent player now he's a consistent mm-hmm. player and consistency I mean we talked about this all you know some on a, uh, a previous OTP about you know players that were a b c or, or or d what would you rather have would you rather have somebody that some days was an a and some days was a d or would you rather have somebody that was a was a strong b plus the whole time consistency is what you're looking for that's what he's done now is he the most improved player for the Titans during the course of the 2019 season. I think you can make a case for that. I think you could also make a case for some of the Titans' offensive line players. Maybe Roger Saffold. Roger Saffold is another person who I think has really improved this season as time has progressed. Your conversation with Saffold on Mike Vrabel's TV show, and I think we're going to run part of that on 
on the pregame on, on Sunday, as a matter of fact, fascinating about why things have have come together. He, I mean, he didn't play well early. Nope. No, I mean, he didn't, and he says that, right? Uh-huh. He full-on admits that he wasn't playing well, and he said that at the bye week, he stopped and did a full self-scout. He looked at everything and was able to diagnose some of the things that he wasn't doing well and make those corrections. And so I asked him, what did you see? And he said that he was still playing in the style that he was playing with the Rams Mm -hmm. and that he needed to change his style of play, not do as much and just play what the Titans were asking him to do. And I thought that that was so interesting, but that goes to show how your play can improve and change. And sometimes it's not that you're doing something wrong. You're just not doing what's needed. If that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I mean, I've got history with Roger. And when, when we came into to, to the Rams when they were still in St. Louis, I mean, he was, you know, he was one of their top players. And he had to switch gears, you know, as to what we were asking him to do offensively, too. So I've seen him go through this. But, but he's an immense talent. He is, a, he is an immense talent, and he's a smart guy. He's a smart player, very self-aware, and it doesn't surprise me at all, you know, that he said that. I mean, I, you know, I, was, I was a little bit surprised at how much he struggled early. But, I mean, he's hit his stride now. That left side is doing something now. This is what they envisioned, right? Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. When they paid Luan and then when they signed him to put with him because are, are the Titans a left-handed football team right now? They are right now, but, and, and they should be. But the thing about it is, I mean, you, you talk about most improved player. My most improved player improving from, if we're talking about improvement being defined as from where you started right. to where you are now, is Nate Davis. Really? Because he started at the bottom, and he missed so much teaching. He missed so much time early on. He was way behind. He was way behind the curve, and then he had to start. He had to start. And so, if you if you just watch his his progression from when he first came in to the starting lineup, and he struggled because why wouldn't he? I mean, let's just be honest. That's that's hard. That's those five guys together is is probably one of the most technically hard positions to play in the National Football League, just because of everything that goes on and how much they have to be in concert with one another. I I really he he impresses me the way that he has come on. Well, he lined up at Charlotte in that stance. That how would you describe that stance? Frog. I yeah. was going to say he looked like a toad. Looked, yeah. <laughs> so in in essence, that was almost symbolic of how far he had to come because the first thing he had to do is learn. You, I mean, you can't line up like that in the pros, and so they had to start right there with him, and then he missed five weeks. Yes, that's why I say I, I'm impressed with the development that he's done and what you know the the what his the veteran players have helped him and the offensive line coaches have done an excellent job with him. What must the Titans do better against the Saints passing game than they did against the Texans passing game? Well, New Orleans passing game is completely different than okay. the Texans. Completely different. I mean you've got a you know, we, we talked about Drew Brees earlier, you know, in this in this podcast and Drew Brees is one of the best coverage manipulators in the league. You know, I mean, he's right up there with Peyton Manning as far as, as coverage manipulation with his eyes, with his shoulders, with his direction, with, 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 with what he does. And he's deadly, deadly accurate. But his offense are, and, and, and Sean Payton's offense, they they rely a lot on they change a lot of personnel. They displace him in a lot of different places. Uh, 
but his accuracy and it's hard you it's hard to sack him and you you talked about earlier him being a pocket passer he is but the thing about it he gets rid of the ball as quick as anybody historically has ever gotten rid of the ball that's his huge success and he understands immediately when he's he's seen enough coverages he's seen enough disguises he's seen it he studies i mean you know, I talked to Greg Williams when I coached with Greg Williams, and he was there You know, with Peyton when they won the Super Bowl. He said he's never, ever been around a player at any position that worked as hard at his craft as what Drew Brees does. Everything, mentally, physically, just constantly, constantly, constantly grinding it down to the finite details. It, it's a different offense. This Houston's offense is 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 based around a quarterback that can that can move it can can worry you to death, you know off schedule plays. This is an entirely different offense. You still have to be able to sometimes be willing to say they're going to catch him, but you're going to have to tackle him, and you can't allow the explosives. What he does is he's patient enough to draw you in and then get the explosives over the top, and then plus, I mean, just like they have Hopkins, you know, New Orleans has a wonderful main receiver a wonderful main receiver michael thomas 132 catches think about that yeah, just that's say fine. say that number again 132 catches the guy is averaging nine and a half catches a game you know he's coming they knew on monday night football 11 targets 11 catches what in the world well, yeah. I mean, it, 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 first of all, he's, he, he is a, a precise route runner. He's long, he's strong, and then his quarterback, and he are in such perfect harmony. that it, And I know you watched the game last night, and our listeners probably did too. The location of the ball when before he comes out of a break or the location of a ball when he's on the move is exactly perfect most about 90 percent of the time just about the percentage of completions that he had which was 97 i asked mike detillier from the md draft report and mike vrabel who was with michael thomas at ohio state knew him when he was a freshman i asked both of them the same question i said are you surprised that he has become what he has become and both of them said yes they thought he was a good prospect they thought he was a good player vrabel said he has become more sudden as he's gotten older and I would think that probably doesn't happen a lot. Well, I think it can, it comes it comes too with learning how to take care of your body and do what you need to do position specific in this league. I've seen that happen because you know some guys some guys just have it naturally that you know no matter how much they they, they work on it they would never improve it. Those are womb to tomb guys. Some guys have it in there, but they haven't been perfecting it yet. But he's, you know, this guy is, he's special. And, again, we talk about the perfect marriage between Drew Brees and Sean Payton. This is a perfect marriage between a quarterback and a receiver. Yeah, but you asked what the Titans need to do. That secondary is going to have to figure out a way to run with some of the Saints receivers. I mean, in Houston, they were struggling a little bit. Just Full on they were. So the Titans secondary is going to have to find a way to stay with these guys, stop some of those explosive plays, and hang with some of these receivers who obviously have an incredible catch radius. So you've got to be able to stop some of these guys. And I think the Titans missed Adoree Jackson a lot against Houston. They're going to have to find a way to fill that void in the event that he can't go. I would be happier if he played. I would be happier if he played too. 
but let's <laughs> let's just cover all of our bases here. Yeah, well, I mean, you and and that's 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 the that's the attrition monster that everybody fights this time of year. You're yeah. a, you're a different team when your best players aren't out there, but you still have to win the game with the players that are out there. Yep. Preach, Coach Mack. It's time for what's brewing on the OTP. Brought to you by Duncan. You spoke and we listened. The great taste plant-based Beyond Sausage Sandwich from Duncan is now available at Duncan locations nationwide with 10 grams of Beyond Sausage plant-based protein in between a toasted English muffin and delicious egg and cheese. Mmm. <laughs> Duncan's taking a new twist on a classic, creating a brand new way for you to start your day. So get up, get out, and get into Duncan for a plant-based boost to your mornings and start today the plant-based way America runs on Duncan. Coach Mack, what is brewing with you? Now, what's brewing with me, I, 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 love, I love the Heisman story of Burrow. I, just, I love that story because when you really dig deep and, and, you, and you look at it, I mean, this guy got a second chance at a place that completely changed and found a coach and a place that would completely change what they're all about offensively. This is such a, a big deviation at LSU as to what they've been historically. They've historically been a run-centered, pounded out, play great defense, out-athlete you. They were willing to turn the keys over to Joe Burrow, go out and hire Joe Brady over an established coordinator, and the jump of faith that both of these guys made and had in each other that culminated in, in this kid winning the Heisman Trophy by a huge landslide victory, to me, that's a great, great football story, and it's a great human interest story. It really is. That's what's brewing with me. What you know about the league, Dave McGinnis, what are the chances that he is the number one overall pick in the draft on April 23rd? Well, there's still there's still some vetting to do on all of this. But there's a chance because here's what he's proven. He has proven that he can run an offense and not only run an offense, he is deadly accurate. Mm-hmm. He's an accurate, accurate thrower. And, you, you know, he doesn't have the – he doesn't have the, the – you're not going to look and put the, the jugs gun on him and say that's the strongest arm I've ever seen. But I wouldn't bet against this kid. Amy Wells. The Jacksonville Jaguars are having a bad week, and that is what's brewing And they just won me. a game. They just won a game, still having a bad week, because the NFLPA filed a little grievance against Jacksonville because Dante Fowler was charged $700,000 in fines for not coming in during the offseason and meeting with team doctors and team trainers to work out an injury. So the NFLPA and their arbitration their arbitrator, is that the word? Arbitrator, Arbitrator, yes. it's a hard word. He called that $700,000 a blatant overreach in terms of saying, basically he was saying that this is not something that is covered in what players mm-hmm. need to be doing in the right. offseason. They are not required to do this. All offseason things are voluntary. Correct. You cannot charge this man $700,000 for not coming in. Let me read you the last sentence or two. And Fowler won. Fowler won. Okay. He doesn't have to pay this money. In the last two years, more than 25% of grievances filed by players have been against the Jaguars. You as players may want to consider this when you have a chance to select your next club. 
How do you think that this is going to impact the Jacksonville Jaguars during free agency? I think that's going to be a nightmare. Things are going really well down there. That's Coughlin, though, right? Yes, and 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 to her point, and she's a hundred percent right. Well, you heard what Fowler said when when they asked him. He said they hated me. Yeah. All right, and so there's a lot of dysfunction going on down there, and the only way that you can really right that dysfunction is you got to take a broom to it, and that may be what happens. But like for any player who has heard this from a buddy, from an NFLPA rep, from anyone, that's going to be in his brain. Did you see what Jalen Ramsey tweeted out? <sighs> I told you. Ooh. That's what he tweeted. Well, here's the thing, and, and to your point about a player's, maybe they, they all hear about it. Yeah. The grapevine in the National Football League amongst coaches and players is really tight, and everybody, everybody knows what goes on everywhere. But that, as I said... They may take a broom to that thing because that's the only way you can rectify that. you got to burn it down and start over. You just have to. Here's what's brewing with me. Why are we surprised by A.J. Brown? Didn't we have history? Didn't we know? Shouldn't we have known? Based on one fact, I will tell you we should have known. You knew A.J. Brown was a baseball player, right? Mm -hmm. You knew he was drafted by the San Diego Padres because they thought he was a big-time outfield prospect. Do you know that he was one of only two players that had been selected for the Under Armour All-Star football and baseball game? The other one, Kyler Murray. I did not know that. So, I didn't either. So that's pretty good. The first two guys ever selected to both of the high school All-Star games for the All-Americans, Kyler Murray and A.J. Brown. When you're in that kind of company and you're that kind of athlete, why are we even surprised? That's a, that's a great point. Wow. That's a great point. That's Did what's you, brewing with me. You heard that story about how they had to put all the locks on the baseball facilities and when A.J. Brown was in high school. They had to put, like, a security system up because he kept breaking in and practicing. They had to put, like, digital locks on everything. Not surprising. Isn't that crazy? We've witnessed it in practice out here, Coach yep. Mack. This, this guy, I mean, I'm telling you. Not telling you. Well, you're I, telling I us. That's okay. Yeah, you can tell us. Anquan Bolden. It's, that's what that's what I wrote. I showed y'all my cue. He acts like him. He prepares like him. He works like him. He's faster. He's good. He's he's the he's legitimate. Amy Wells, tell people how they can follow you on Twitter at Titans Amy A M I E. And they can follow Dave McGinnis and myself on Titans Radio. We're on the air this Sunday at noon Central Time, 11 a.m. Central with Titans Countdown. We hope you'll join us for our entire crew and hopefully for Jim Wyatt, who will be back with us next week. Mike Keith says thanks for listening to the OTP. Podcast.